Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? I'm glad to say that the ant infestation that attacked me earlier in the week has subsided. We yeah. picked up the appropriate we picked up the appropriate chemicals, and all is well now. So <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, I thought you were messing around with me, like how I always come up with a weird excuse for when Eric can't be on the hoops pod. But yeah, like, I'm glad that you were able to uh, to overcome such a horrible thing. And speaking of trying to overcome horrible things, Penn State hosts Ohio State this weekend. Uh, night game in Beaver Stadium. Uh, Penn State coming off of a bye, a team that has looked pretty decent, but for how solid Penn State has looked this year, they have not. That there's a chance they may not have faced anything quite like Ohio State. We're going to talk about the Buckeyes this season, what they've done well, what they've done poorly, some of the expectations coming into this year, and how Penn State can end up winning this football game. And of course, we're going to end by picking around the Big Ten. I'm not sure who Rutgers play in this week, but we'll be sure to make some jokes about it. And in order to talk about Ohio State, we figured we put that uh, friendship we got with 11 Warriors to the test and get an 11 Warriors staff member over here. So we went out and we got ourselves one Ramsey Nasrallah. Ramsey, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm hoping we're going to be talking about um, Penn State overlooking Ohio State because of the Purdue game that's looming. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's. I, I mean, James Franklin is a big time take one game at the time at a time kind of guy. Uh, so while I I really don't think anyone would blame him if he was getting amped up to go to you know West Lafayette and beat the you know beat Lane Kiffin's future employer. I don't think he's going to be doing that but yeah i'm, I'm that, sure i'm sure purdue pete's going to be laying on top of mountain Indian with binoculars peering in and scouting this game hello darkness my old friend but yeah by, by the way, it's it's train kiffin <laughs> <laughs> yeah our one of our staff members peter burks wrote something for every day so should be saturday uh today that i really loved and it was about how he has grown to love Ohio, alabama which Seems a little bit weird because we're all just predispositioned to hate Alabama, but they've, as Peter's basically said, they've decided that along with stifling teams on defense, they're going to score a whole hell of a lot of points on offense, which makes them endearing in a weirdly, weird, weird, weird way. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Wayne Kiffin. Uh, we'll save that for when he's the coach of Purdue next year. We're not here to talk about Alabama. We are here to talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes, 6-0 and this year. Uh, maybe have... I, I think you can argue they have maybe the two most impressive wins in all of college football this year. At least that one team has, and that's going to Oklahoma and just ruining the Sooners in a game that was not as close to the 21-point scoreline. And then last week, going to Wisconsin, going up against a really stout Badgers team and taking them down 30-23 to in overtime. But before we get to that, uh, Ramsey... Let's talk about Ohio State coming into this year. They were a really interesting team with how much talent they had to replace. They had to replace their offensive coordinator. He got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. There were so many weird things that went on. It seemed coming into this year for Ohio State, just losing guys and things of that nature. What were the expectations coming into 2016 for the Buckeyes and for Buckeye fans? Well, you you would like to hope that uh, they would be in contention for national championship. Um, and then you stop and, and realize it's 2016. And, and Ohio State has won the Big Ten once since 2010. Um, so it's kind of like, obviously they won the national title a couple seasons ago with a very young team. So 
we're fans, right? You want to draw parallels to things that, things that make you comfortable. There's JT Parrott on both teams, 2014 and, and now. Um, and then a bunch of guys you've never heard of, like 2014 and now. And the same schedule, even, even your schedule. Go to State College, uh, host Michigan. Those are the two games you, you kind of look at with where you got to go. Wisconsin showed up this year. They've been off for the last four years. And the there's always a marquee non-conference game that, that they have to play. In 2014, it was Virginia Tech. They, they lost that in, in pretty you know, famous fashion. They heard about it every week throughout the season until it no longer mattered. And then this year, it was at Oklahoma. So you go into the season trying to make 2016 look as, as similar as possible to 2014 just because you know how 2014 ended. Um, I don't know if you can make the same sort of I, – I, I had a hard time drawing the same sort of parallel because – Roster and schedule only go so far. In 2014, they had uh, Tom Herman for the third straight season. And that offense knew what it was going to do. Once they figured out how to get past Virginia Tech's double eagle offense, no one really, <laughs> no one really got in their way. Uh, Penn State probably gave them the, the best fight that they had the, the whole year, and that was really the second half on. Um, they're still – I wasn't bought into the idea that they were going to be this death machine – that they were supposed to be last year but didn't turn into until they played Michigan and, and Notre Dame just because I, I still don't buy into the idea that Tim Beck and Ed Warner can run a cohesive, um, autonomous offense without uh, Urban getting involved and in going to his comfort zone, which is just having JT Barrett run off tackle <laughs> and make, make the quarterbacks in games. So title or bust, I mean, you're Penn State fans. I'm an Ohio State fan. Don't don't you always enter the season thinking of the best years you've ever had and think yeah we could do. <laughs> uh, maybe other years but not necessarily uh, not necessarily this year not necessarily the past couple of years but uh, yeah that's a really interesting point that uh, you brought up and when I looked at Ohio State this year I looked at a team that could eventually get there but everything really relied on two games going to Oklahoma. And, you know, hosting Michigan. And there was going to Michigan State, but I think we all agree that over the last uh, last couple of weeks, Michigan State has made that game kind of not matter. Uh, they're they're yeah. bad. Yeah, so when you're looking at this team, it was were, were those really the two games that you had circled that, okay, if they're able to grow up enough in time to go to Norman and beat an Oklahoma team that, at the time, everyone thought was going to run away with the Big 12 and make another make the case for being in the playoff again, and then take down a Michigan team that has something like 300 seniors. That this was going to be a really special year in Columbus. Um, I didn't. Okay. By the way, Michigan has 42 seniors, and I know that <laughs> Ohio State has 44 freshmen. And I thought <laughs> you couldn't find two more different rosters right now. Um, with the the uh, Oklahoma. And Michigan thing, it's, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll use your starting point. I thought about it pragmatically, like how can Ohio State get to the Big Ten title game and put itself in position to get into the playoff? It had to win one of the two games between Tulsa and Wisconsin. Okay. I'm not Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. I've got Oklahoma on the brain. Um, <laughs> they had to win one of those two games. They couldn't lose both. If they lost two, they've lost two. Um, but, but if they lost in Norman and won in Madison, they're okay. If they and vice versa, they're fine because neither impacts their ability to win the Big Ten East. They can't lose the Michigan game, so yeah. 
they had to win one of those first two and beat Michigan and obviously Michigan State, which we thought would be another disrespected D'Antonio, you know, three-star <laughs> prolific oh, oh, win team. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is still very much a team that nobody respects, but it's for a completely different reason right now. <laughs> the, the disrespect is constant. The, the, <laughs> the competence comes and goes. It's, it's been going on. Um, so I, I thought, uh, look, if they won both of those games, and they did, uh, between Oklahoma and uh, Wisconsin, like, wow, maybe they're, they're ahead of schedule. Or, and if they didn't, well, they'll learn from – you learn a lot from a loss. And I remember when they lost to Virginia Tech two years ago, to go back to my, my parallel with 2014, the following week they won 66 to nothing against Kent State, but then they just started beating the crap out of everybody. Yeah. And they were, they were mad, and they, like, like we're not going to get tricked by, by some – a banana and the tailpipe defensive gimmickry again. Um, and they didn't really slip up until the second half in State College, where I think they got a little cocky, Barrett to a pick six, and then Penn yeah. State does what Penn State always does against Ohio State. Deshaun Hamilton went off. Um, it, it just, um, you know, that, that was their turning point after Virginia Tech. Yeah. So I still think that maybe Wisconsin was like that for them last week because they were losing by double digits at halftime and figured it out, but uh, they're still so young, man. 44 yeah. fresh. Um, I, this, isn't, this team still doesn't quite have the identity that I think Urban wants it to have. Um, yeah. But he's, I, it's getting there. It's, yeah, definitely. Uh, Nick, let me just kind of bring you in for a second. When we – I know before the season you and I were really high on Ohio State. I think you had Michigan uh, winning the Big Ten. I had Ohio – state winning the big 10 but we were both no 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 Uh sir those were switched no 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 wait there's no way i pick michigan to win the big i go back and listen okay i mean i will own it if i did but i very much thought that i picked ohio state that'll be as you're rambling on during this uh during your answer i'll go try but did did you kind of get the sense uh with this ohio state team that this was a team that I will forget our preseason predictions, everything like that, uh, that this was a team that had what it took to compete for the Big Ten and for a national title? Um, when I looked at this team before the season, I wasn't necessarily thinking national title contenders. I was absolutely thinking uh, Big Ten contender. I mean, I predicted them to win the conference um, based on two, two things that I know to be... A, well and true in college football and number one is that uh if you have jt barrett as your starting quarterback and obviously this is only true for the last few years but if you have jt barrett as your starting quarterback you're going to be in a good position to win every week and number two is that trust in urban meyer the dude knows what he's doing like i know i know this obviously this ohio state team is very very young something that penn state fans can uh sympathize with sympathize with yeah so um but the big difference is that one of these teams has Urban Meyer as the coach and one of them does not. And if there's something Urban Meyer knows how to do, it's get the best out of uh, his players. And kind of as as we saw in 2014, like Ramsey said, there weren't necessarily a ton of, there weren't necessarily national title expectations. And that's kind of where he, that's where he thrived. Like all these young guys that people knew about from recruiting, but, but no one really knew quite how good they were going to be when they all got on the field together. And, I mean, again, this this team pretty much mirrors that team in a lot of ways. And I know that I, before the season, I think I even said on our Big Ten preview pod, I picked, I think I picked JT Barrett as my Heisman winner for this year. Um, 
probably won't happen now, but <laughs> I but yeah, I mean, my expectations for them were that this was going to be a very 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 good team. I was a little cautious about that Oklahoma game uh because just because it is such a young team and that was a tough road game early in the season. Obviously now Oklahoma doesn't look quite as mighty as they did preseason. Um but still overall, I mean, yeah, this is a really good team. I, they looked like a really good team before the season, and nothing's really changed about my perception of them other than the fact that, holy crap, they're this good already. Yeah, and that actually uh, brings up a really good point, and that is, uh, Nicola, if you start, and then Ramsey will bring you in to kind of fill in the gaps, but when I watch this Ohio State team, I see a team that is really, really good, but like, like Ramsey said several times, 44 freshmen on this roster. Nick, when you watch them, do you kind of get the sense that I get that this Ohio State team isn't a finished product quite yet? No, definitely not. And in a very, very good way because they're already so good and they still have so much potential to get better. The only caveat to that is um, obviously JT Barrett's a junior now, so he's kind of on a different timeline than a lot of these other young players on the team. But, I mean, this team still has so much room to grow. I mean, we've seen a guy like Nick Bosa just really start to make an impact in the last few games here. Yeah, it's so so freaking terrifying. Yeah, another Bosa, sure. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's... There's still so much room for this team to grow. I mean, a guy like Noah Brown, a receiver, still has uh, so so much more he can do to get better. Uh, guys like Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber are already fantastic, but they still have the capacity to get even better, um, especially a guy like Mike Weber, who's been outstanding so far. So, I mean, yeah, they're definitely not a finished product, and that is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, Ramsey, kind of the same question to you. It- do you get the sense that this isn't quite a finished product yet, or do you think that what they are after six football games is, you know, what they're going to be? I think they're further along than uh, the amount of potential you th- uh, the the potential you guys are talking about. I see that on an individual level for development. You brought up Noah Brown, um, but some of the units, uh, I think they're pretty much baked. I think you've seen the offensive line. We, you know, where the where the uh, the weaknesses are going to be. You're gonna, you know, which guys you're going to attack and which guys you probably want to stay away from. I think the receiving core for Ohio State is a pretty weak spot. They they block okay. Noah Brown is good with <laughs> Sports Center highlight yeah, doing catches, ridiculous things. But uh, none of these guys can get open, man. Um, they, they, if you watched uh, what Wisconsin did in the first half. They basically did everything they could to stop Ohio State's inside zone running attack, which is basically the core of their offense, and dared uh, receivers to you know break anything open. And, and, and Ohio State got two field goals in the first half doing that. In the second half, they spread them out. They made some some pretty critical adjustments, and they scored on almost every possession they have. The one they did, they didn't score on, it started raining, and Barrett's hand slipped off the ball. He threw a pick in the end zone. So they. I mean, they're not going to figure out things on the fly. If if you can get if you can get Ohio State still confused in the second half, you beat them, and that that could be applicable to Penn State, definitely ap- applicable to Michigan, even Michigan State, which has been a a thorn for Ohio State. If they can have Ohio State still trying to figure out what's going on in the second half, they have a great chance of winning. And the problem with Wisconsin is that they allowed Ohio State to go into halftime, and 
the Buckeyes blew their doors off in the second half, got it to overtime and won. Yeah, interesting. And before we get into uh, talking about this game, I just want to talk about um, – I, I kind of hesitate to use the word rivalry uh, because Michigan is Ohio State's rival. Uh, Pitt is Penn State's rival. These two schools, I don't think they are uh, – obviously they're not rivals, but there is certainly – the sense that this is a big game, at least in Happy Valley, and I would assume in Columbus. Uh, so, Ramsey, I kind of want to get your perspective on how do you, as an Ohio State fan, view Penn State? Because I, this is something that Penn State, I think a lot of Penn State fans uh, want to say, want to hear Ohio State fans say, you know, we hold them one half step below Michigan, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, well, t- a couple things. They don't. I'll speak for the tribe. They they don't hold anyone a half step below Michigan, including Michigan State or anybody. Uh, I I'm from Columbus. I grew up walking to and from the games, and I was really. And I'm also old, so I'm I'm 42. (laughs) I I watched a lot of Penn State football in the 80s and admired the independence. I admired Notre Dame and and Penn State. They just seemed they were national brands. Uh, I loved the Big Ten, but I. I thought it was a treat to be able to see teams like even the Miami Hurricanes who were independent, Florida State, which was independent. Um, you start to watch some of these vehicles for studs that are playing on a national stage, always in the Orange Bowl, always in the Fiesta Bowl. And I always revered uh, the Paterno Penn State teams of my youth. Then when they joined the Big Ten instead of the Big East, because the Big East is forever stupid and now dead, uh, <laughs> you know, the idea of getting to play Penn State every year for – someone with that context, with that having seen uh, Penn State in those years, that, that to me was, okay, now that's, it's never going to be 1A, 1B, but now there was a number two. Because uh, you know, when I was still not old enough to appreciate it, the big two, little eight, big ten was Ohio State, Michigan. There was no third team. Every now and then someone would show up, but that was it. They showed up and then they left. And Penn State was that viable third team when the big ten went to 11 teams. So I always thought, you know, that's what's going to be protected, protected, and that's what Jim Delaney did. That was a pretty, Ohio State doesn't skip Penn State. Penn State doesn't skip Ohio State. Ohio State just played the Badgers for the first time during the regular season since like 2012. That you'd think oh, that that should be something that happens every year. It doesn't. Um, but they'll they'll never miss Penn State. They'll never miss Michigan. And I think of Penn State still as that national brand that's in a funny place in Penn in Pennsylvania that. Uh, <laughs> represents the kind of football that uh, I fell in love with when I was growing up. So I know it probably, I might be pissing off some of your Ohio State listeners, like, oh, we're supposed to say Penn State doesn't matter for anything. Like, no, it's it, it doesn't have to be the dichotomy of they mean nothing and they mean everything. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is a rivalry, and Penn State matters, and I enjoy watching the two teams play more so than 80%, 90% of the teams in the Big Ten. Awesome. Uh, Nick? Let me uh, kind of flip this over to you. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. How do you view Ohio State? Oh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm dying right now. Uh. That's okay. You can just pass away. We'll finish out the pod without you. See? Right. Well, um, no, I mean, the issue is I'm recording this thing, so you kind of need me. Oh, uh, true, true, true. Um, so for me, uh, it's... So I, I, as many people know that are listening, I really only became invested in Penn State football in... Uh, 2010 when I started going to school there. So while I've learned 
far more about the history of Penn State football than I ever thought I would through writing about them. My personal kind of history with the team doesn't go back terribly far. Um, what does go back with me is that I had two of my good friends growing up. I had one that was an Ohio State fan, one that was a Michigan fan. So every year we'd go over there, we'd watch the game, and I usually would actually uh, tend to lean to the side of Michigan in that game. So I've always kind of grown up not really having a lot of love for Ohio State. Uh, so that's just me personally. And I feel like a lot of Penn State fans just viewing them as like the, another big school in the area will just, I mean, kind of the same thing as Notre Dame, not quite on the same, I mean, obviously a completely different situation, but I feel like a lot of Penn State fans just kind of view any other big teams in the area um, as big adversaries. And I know that a, a lot of Penn State fans don't like that word rivalry, but something that James Franklin said, um, I think it was leading up to the Maryland game rather after the Maryland game, has kind of stuck with me. And when he said that, He's not against rivalries, but he thinks that if it's a rivalry, you shouldn't have to convince people that it is one. And I feel like that's kind of where Penn State is with Pitt right now. Like, there's, I know that there's the stupid, stupid Onward State article about how Pitt wasn't worthy of being Penn State's rival, which is still moronically stupid. <laughs> but um, they're, <laughs> sorry, I, we love you, Onward State, but that was very stupid. Um, and I feel like they're, they're kind of in that place of pit right now where they don't play each other all the time. So you kind of do have to convince yourself a little bit that they're a rival. But when you think about Ohio State, at least from the Penn State side of things, no one, like the word rivalry doesn't really get tossed around as much because everyone just kind of knows that it's a big game and that it's a big, important game. And for me, that's kind of what a rivalry is. Like, it's something where everyone cares, everyone comes out for the game, and it's the kind of game where you kind of, to borrow a phrase from the solid verbal, you throw out the record books. Because while Ohio State has dominated this matchup recently, crazy things have still happened to this game in uh, the last few years or so. So for me, that's kind of that's what defines a rivalry, like fun games that everyone cares about, even if maybe it's not exactly the same from the Ohio State side of things, even if even those fans who do think it's a rivalry, it's not quite the same viewpoint. But for me, it's, I mean, those are, that's the criteria. It's a big game that people care about, that wacky things happen, and that, I mean, that everyone will tune in to watch. So for me, I, I do kind of see it as a rivalry a little bit. Uh, first things first, <clears throat> no, again, still dying. I would like to, uh, uh, you know, show my ass for a second. I did pick Michigan at the beginning of the season. Which I again I completely forgot about that. I think it's because after Ohio State went to Norman, I completely changed my mind and was like, yeah, they're gonna win everything. Uh, so I, I apologize, Nick. I've never done this before, uh, but I think by the criteria of apologizing, I just disqualified myself from running for president. So neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, when I look at Ohio State, uh, I've mentioned this before, uh, but my cousin played football for Notre Dame when I was younger, so I grew up a big Notre Dame fan, and I became a Penn State fan when I started going to school here. Uh, and the one school that both of those schools really hate is Michigan. So I've always viewed Ohio State as kind of a the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. I've always, uh, at least ever since they got Urban Meyer, because I'm on a bachelor of Urban Meyer, 
loved what they're doing over there. I mean, Nick, how many times have you and I joked that we want all the talent to go to Ohio State in recruiting just so we can see what that looks like? I mean, I want every single exactly. 2017 five-star to sign with Ohio State. Every uh, un- single un- one. Unless unless they're heavily considering Penn State, then they should come to Happy Valley. Again, neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, so I've always kind of had that respect for Ohio State. There are some Penn State fans, don't get me wrong, who straight up hate the Buckeyes. They hate Jim Trestle. They hate Woody Hayes. They just hate that school. And listen, that happens. They're people. They're the best team in the Big. T- they're the best program in the Big Ten right now. They've had a sustained run of success. And when you're at the top, people are going to hate you. Plus, Penn State and Ohio State have had some really, they've had some really big games against one another. So that's always going to be heightened. But I've always viewed Ohio State as a team where I want them to be as good as possible when Penn State plays them, because I want that to be a barometer for where Penn State is because again you're not you test yourself by playing the best teams in football i mean when penn state went into michigan that kind of gave us a little bit of a look at where penn state was at the time which was not far enough ahead to compete with teams of that caliber it's been about a month since it's been yeah a little under a month since then now ohio state comes into town it's in happy valley it's a whiteout it's all that it's a big game environment, which it is whenever Penn State and Ohio State play, which adds something to this without any fraction of a doubt. And again, this is a barometer for Penn State. If Penn State has made serious strides since the Michigan game, maybe the Nittany Lions are able to keep this one close. Maybe they're not able to because Ohio State is that just that good. I don't know. But that's always how I have viewed Ohio State uh, from a football standpoint as a barometer to see where Penn State's at. Uh, and when we think about them as that barometer, we like to talk about the things that Ohio State does well and does poorly, uh, which leads into the next part of our podcast, which is breaking down this game. Ramsey, I, the, I mean, the obvious answer is to what does Ohio State do well is run the dang football. Uh, but really, outside of that, do they, what else do they do especially well and we'll get to how Penn State's may be able to slow down the run game in a, in a minute or two. They they are a run the football team, and they they get themselves in trouble when they try to pass to set up the run. That doesn't it doesn't really work that way because the wide receivers just aren't cocky, uh, slightly crazy guys that can get in defensive backs' head. They're just a bunch of dudes who run boring routes and don't get open, but when they start doing this uh, inside zone stuff where it either goes to Weber or to Samuel in motion or to Dontre Wilson or 20 times a game when JT Barrett keeps it, now you have to start worrying about what's happening at the line of scrimmage and, hey, look who gets open <laughs> when, when, when that happens. They, if they can start running the ball and the rhythm, that's where, like, for half their scoring drives, guys, I'm telling you, like, they'll have the ball at the 40, and I'm like, this is going to be a touchdown drive because you can see by the cadence of what they're doing, that, uh-oh, it's going. Um, and you can tell when it's, even if they get like a 12-yard gain and then like a five-yard gain, you're like, you know, it's off. And you can see it. It's visceral. They just, they need to get in that rhythm before they start going. That was the first half of the Wisconsin game. And the second half, they had the rhythm from the beginning of the half. The only time they didn't have it was when it rained and he threw the pick in the end zone. Other than that, they, I mean, they were, they were doing whatever they wanted. So it's very easy to see uh, if the, the, the way that they get going is by getting success, big chunks of yards. Uh, they're a first-down team. They're they're not. Uh, you talked about Jim Trestle 
um, that was a third and ten team <laughs> that that would find reverse downs, and then they would basically win with field position and field goals. This is not how uh, Urban's squad works defensively. Um, they're so young everywhere, man. Um, they're just really fast, and they don't overcommit or make catastrophic mistakes. Wisconsin gashed them a couple times in the first half. That really hadn't happened uh, this year. They they don't they didn't have any real lapses like that, and really. Um, it was because of missed tackles, so I would say that that was more of an anomaly than not having the right uh, coverage in place or not understanding what Wisconsin was trying to do. So um, they also have really short memories. So when they make mistakes, you don't see this team get down. They they stay in the moment. They don't dwell, and it's not a hang-your-head type of program. It, it hasn't been that way since, gosh, for a long, long time. That's something that I think Ohio State fans take for granted. They can They can be down or not playing well, and they still – they're not gonna. They're not gonna do their opponents' work for them. Awesome. So, yeah, great, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're really <laughs> giving me hope right now, man. I mean, thank you. <laughs> I'm. We. I can change it up and, and, and be more positive. Can I give you a couple of old, old man anecdotes about maybe helping you understand why Ohio State and Penn State fans might feel the the way that they do? <laughs> yeah, sure. The uh, I was in college when Penn State joined the Big Ten. It was the '93 season, and they the whole it was a couple of years of buildup because they did the paperwork and whatever and and Penn State joined and it was going to be okay this team now that won in eighty two and eighty six and got so close um, playing an independent schedule uh, they're going to just take over the Big Ten so I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the ninety three season but Penn State basically rolled everyone they played and they had Ohio State and Michigan back to back in October and I'm not looking at it but I still remember it pretty clearly because I was I was there. Uh, and they lost to Ohio State. They lost to Michigan, and then they lost to Ohio State. Then they ran the table. So if you look at the schedule for Penn State, their first year in the Big Ten, they beat everyone except for Ohio State and Michigan, which was the whole – that was kind of like the first shot for what would Penn State do in the Big Ten. Well, they lost to the two teams that basically run it for <laughs> for 30 years. The following year, 94, I think you guys both know yes. that they should have – that was the best team I saw in the 90s was the, the 94 team. And a slight uh, one one B to the following year's Nebraska Cornhuskers, which were also formidable. Um, but that's, I think, the starting point when you look at how this resentment or rivalry stuff. I think it's how Penn State entered the Big Ten with its own expectations and what happened immediately um, upon them taking the schedule. So, just to give me some context yeah. for some young guys, definitely. That's definitely. What, yeah. But yeah, this is a fast young Ohio State team, and they don't hang their heads. So. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, there was a time in college football where uh, the phrase, quote-unquote, SEC speed was a thing that existed, and it got to be a bit of a laughing point, but there was the time where whenever an SEC team would get onto the field with another team they would just be faster than everyone else. And these teams like your Penn State, sometimes your Ohio State, Michigan's Notre Dame, the quote-unquote traditional powers, when they got on the field with them, those SEC teams would just outfast them. And Ohio State, every, like they kind of understood the importance of speed, uh, but really the SEC was where all that was concentrated. Urban Meyer comes in, and all of a sudden that quote-unquote SEC speed and the quote-unquote SEC caliber talent starts going up to Columbus, which ends up, like you said, making this a really fast Ohio State team. 
And Nick, when you look at that and you look at where Penn State is, what do you think Penn State needs to do to kind of slow down really everything that Ohio State's going to want to do? Well, I mean, 1A for Penn State in terms of slowing down Ohio State is they just need to play sound defense. <sighs> and, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's easier said than done right now. But something I've actually, I was actually thinking about today, um, it seems like when they've had... Uh, like a guy like Brandon Smith on the field. And since, I mean, he was obviously not in the game for Michigan, got ejected on that ridiculous targeting call. Yeah, yeah, we won't talk about that now. But um, it seems like this team has actually gotten a lot better in the run game, uh, stopping the run game, that is. And I feel like that's something that they need to be able to do against Ohio State to win, obviously. But to take it to the second degree, obviously you also have to be able to contain JT Barrett, which is... I mean, not something that's truly possible, but something that Penn State's improved on in the last few weeks is staying true to their gaps and staying true to their assignments. Um, and while that's important again against Ohio State to stop a guy like Mike Weber running through the tackles, you also have to be able to shed that responsibility when you see Barrett take off with the ball. So I'm kind of... I know we've talked a lot for Penn State about uh, the return of Brandon Bell and Jason yeah. Cabinda potentially both playing this week. And I'm, while I think Bell is, if Bell can go, I think that's an obvious uh, decision to put him in there. I'm not so sure about Cabinda because he has barely played this season. And for someone who has not gotten a lot of game time, to put him in there and immediately expect him to be able to keep up with JT Barrett is kind of unreasonable. Words. Yeah, kind kind of unreasonable to ask of a. I mean, he's a solid linebacker. He wraps up, but he's not the fastest dude in the world. Yeah. And covering a guy like JT Bear is not exactly a strong suit. Um, so finding creative solutions in the run game, and maybe that's using a guy like Koa Farmer to spy on JT Barrett. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's even using Manny Bowen to do that because Manny Bowen's so fast. I don't know, but. You being able to stop that run game first and foremost, I think, has to be the uh, focus. Um, but then the other thing, just looking at the numbers, Ohio State has not done a good job this year of being an explosive offense or really stopping explosive offenses. And it just so happens that big explosive plays on offense are actually something that Penn State's been able to do reasonably well this year. And that's partially because of Trace McSorley's ability to move through the pocket and allow his receivers to get open downfield. Um, so I think hitting on some of those big plays, like that big 70-yard pass to DeAndre Tompkins we saw against Maryland, letting letting their skill guys get out in open space and try to make a play, obviously they're probably going to be um, on islands all night against this uh, awesome Ohio State secondary um, because they're probably going to bring as much pressure as they can knowing that stopping Saquon Barkley is priority number one. So if those receivers can beat, at least at some times, beat the secondary and be able to find themselves open and allow McSorley to hit on some of those explosive plays, then I think this game gets a whole lot more interesting. Yeah, and what uh, we've, we, we know just through watching sports that that's usually where an X-Factor uh, pops in the one player who makes a big difference, the one uh, just something of that nature that completely changes the course of this game. Ramsey, is there one player for Ohio State who you think is a bit of an X-factor, the kind of guy who, uh, like that, is 
able to surprise everyone and bust out one or two big plays that uh, kind of uh, demoralized Penn State, quiet the crowd in Beaver Stadium, all that. Uh, not a surprise guy, but it's Curtis Samuel <laughs> because he does it from he'll, – he'll take a direct snap. He'll line up in the backfield where Weber would be. He'll be you know in the slot, jet sweep. He's like their leading receiver. So it, yeah. it, he's kind of a triple crown guy. It's not a surprise because he's he's going to touch the ball a lot. It's just how he does it, and he's just so good, man. Um, he he's finally he is the first Percy Harvin Urban's had in Ohio State. Every year there's Percy Harvin candidates. This it's it's one hundred percent him now. That's the he's the Percy Harvin Harviniest Percy Harvin. That they <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I don't. Like, bless Percy Harvin. Like, he was really awesome at Florida, but I kind of feel bad for him that every single player that's ever going to be good at more than one thing is going to get compared to him from now until the end of time. Just that's his, last, that's his lasting legacy and not the week and a half he was on the Seahawks, Nick. He got a ring. He got a ring. Shut up. He uh, brought one back in the Super Bowl. He, I, I'm, okay with the, I'm okay with trading the first-round pick for the Super Bowl touchdown. I'm good. Yeah, the Pats beat you. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, uh, kind of the same question for you. When I mean, For me, the X factors in this game are going to be Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda. Even if uh, th- something that you and I talk about a lot is Cabinda is better before the snap. He's better reading things and putting guys in positions and doing all that stuff, whereas Brandon Smith is better after the snap. He seems like he's always around whatever's happening. Uh, the guy who's able to get his nose in there and either tackle a dude or slow a dude down enough so other guys are able to come into tackle. For me, I'm, those are the X factors for me. Those two guys coming back and pro- finally providing depth for the linebacking core. What are the X factors for you in this game? Well, real quick, I actually, from the way Franklin kind of phrased his comments today, I wouldn't be surprised to see Smith start this game. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Over Kevin. and that's actually kind of exciting to me because I want to see what he can do against a good team like Ohio State. Um, but for me, for the X factor is either going to be Deshaun Hamilton or Mike Gesicki, because I think something Penn State has not been able to do on offense is be efficient. They have been extremely inefficient. They've relied on those explosive, those big plays, and. I don't think that's going to work all night against Ohio State. So I think they need to be able to have that safety valve in the passing game for when McSorley gets in trouble because Ohio State is going to bring the house plenty. Even when they don't bring the house, their defensive line is going to overrun Penn State's offensive line. So having Deshaun Hamilton, having Mike Kosicki consistently open is going to be huge, huge for this offense. So for me, if I can see, if I see one of those guys having a big game, that's going to be a big indicator for me as to the direction that this game is going in. Mike Gusecki going for 130 and two touchdowns this weekend. I'm calling it right now. I'm probably going to be wrong. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, yeah, let's get into predictions. Um, I will go first. Um, I am very pessimistic about this game. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I just, for how much I think Penn State is a different team than it was a month ago when it played Michigan, I still have some really, really serious concerns about how the Nittany Lions are going to match up against Ohio State, especially if this is one of those really gross, rainy games where it seems like that may be the case. We're not 100% sure on the weather just yet. But if it's a game that favors which team is going to be able to run the ball, which team is going to be able to wrap up and do all those things, 
I'm going to end up going with the Buckeyes. Uh, yeah, it, it hurts me, but I'm going to set the bar extremely low so I can't get disappointed. I'm going to say 45-13 Ohio State. Uh, Nick, what about you? I'm pretty interested to see the dynamic of, and I know that this Ohio State team was just able to go into Madison and win an OT, um, but because it is such a young team, um, and I know Barrett has also been in this situation before, but because it's such a young team, and Beaver Stadium is going to be blistering loud oh, yeah. on oh, Saturday, yeah. I'm, I, I I mean, I think Ohio State is clearly the better team. I think Ohio State is probably a good 20, 25 points better than this Penn State team um, on any given day. But this this certain situation has me at least curious to see how they're going to handle that. And I know, as Ramsey said, it's really clear to see when this Ohio State team is in a rhythm and when it's not. So I'm, I'm wondering if the noise that the Penn State fans are going to provide will have any effect on that at all. Um, the S&P Plus numbers have this as an Ohio State win uh, by about 10, almost 11 points, like a 33-22 win. I actually, I, I think that sounds kind of good. I like the sound of that. Um, maybe more like 17 for Penn State, so like a 33-17 game, something like that. I don't think they'll quite let the Buckeyes run away. I think they'll they'll clearly be overmatched, and I think it'll be the game won't be as close as the scoreboard indicates. But I 33-17, Ohio State, it sounds about right to me. Yeah, I, I actually got kind of interested because we always talk about uh, how coaches uh, use a bye week to prepare for an opponent. So I looked at Penn State's last two games coming off of a bye. Last year, uh, the Nittany Lions, I completely forgot about this, they played 10 games in a row before they got a bye. And then uh, their game back was that afternoon kick against Michigan where – you know, Penn State kicked the, ball, kicked the ball, went for a kick down by, I think it would, but by enough points that you should have gone for a touchdown on the two-yard line in the fourth quarter. Like, neither here nor there. Still kind of angry about that. Lost that one by 12. So kept it close. Uh, didn't end up winning that one. And then two years ago, very similar situation uh, to what this year is. Coming into the game against Ohio State after by four and two. Uh, Ohio State's a really good team, although that team we didn't know at they were as good as they ended up being, of course, uh, and 31-24 in two overtimes. Uh, so hopefully it's a little more like the 2014 bye and not last year's bye, and James Franklin had some really fun stuff up his sleeve. Uh, but, Ramsey, what do you think on this one? Let's get a prediction out of you. I am on the opposite side of where Nick landed, where he said the score would make it look uh, closer than it was. I think, uh, like, before they played Wisconsin, Ohio State beat Indiana by 21 points, and that was not a comfortable game. Yeah, I think this will be very similar. I think Beaver Stadium is worth 10 points. Uh, I think I'm already on the hook for the 11 Warriors roundtable score prediction, so I, I can't give, like, <laughs> multiple predictions and then, like, choose the closest one and talk about how, how right I was. The uh, <laughs> I it is... Uh, 41 to 20, and I don't think that this score is going to be an adequate portrayal of how contentious and close that the game will be. Um, Urban has a habit of setting himself up for the challenge. Like last last season was called the grind, 
and it turned into this big grind. When he talks about how challenging a game is going to be, it ends up being challenging. When he just sort of talks about the opponent in abstract terms and we need to get better, when he talks about Ohio State versus talking about his opponent, they usually you know, blow the other team's doors off. But when he's like, oh, man, uh, Wisconsin's really good. Penn State's, that's, that's the toughest place to play. Penn State's really, that, that, it ends up being closer. So um, I see that happening, but uh, to the point we've all discussed, there's some things that uh, are difficult to to match up with, and there's just so much speed on, on Ohio State's team. And if they have trouble getting the ball to them in the first half, they won't have trouble in the second half. They'll make it easier for themselves. Um, the X factor, I mean, first, can I just say that I love tight ends with names like Gasecki <laughs> and even like Magali <laughs> from Wisconsin. I, he, was, he was making catches last week. I'm like, God, I love that guy. Fuck, he made another catch. It's so upset. <laughs> like, I, I just love tight ends like that. So, Gasecki getting, you know, 10 catches for 130 yards. Like, part of me sort of get a little twinkle, like, oh, that would be so cool. But hopefully not this weekend. Um, that's an X factor. If there's one guy that starts to abuse the middle of the hole in the middle of the field, um, that could be a lot of fun for Penn State. And it's how they respond to that advantage. If they go back to the well repeatedly, Ohio State's going to figure it out and then make it hurt. So Wisconsin did this jet sweep successfully, like, four times. The fifth time... Um, the guy's name is Jazz Peavy, which is another great name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jazz Peavy. Um, the fifth time Malik Hooker almost chopped him in half. And then they never <laughs> ran it again. They were like, all right, done. So if if, if uh, they start to milk an advantage too much, um, that's where I think Penn State could squander an opportunity. Um, instead of just like tricking Ohio State into, okay, we're going to keep going to Gaiseki in the seam and then use him as a decoy to go somewhere else. That's where I think you could, you could cause some problems. Um, Greg Schiano is really good with defensive strategy. Um, he, that was what he did in the second half last week. If people weren't trusting of, of how good he is, that was that was impressive. Um, but I think the key for Penn State is going to be find something they can exploit and then force Ohio State to play whack-a-mole, and then that's the way they would keep it competitive. Yeah. All jokes aside. Really, really, really quick, if you if you like tight end names. Uh, Penn State has a kid committed in the 2018 oh, class, yeah. tight end. His name is Pat Fryermuth. Oh, it's man. That's <laughs> so great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, just to be clear, we all agree that Greg Schiano, like jokes aside, he is probably going to coach Purdue next, correct? He, I think he has to do another year of his image rehabilitation tour. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, yeah, a, a Big Ten program or something that's not – you know, a South Florida or Mackish. I think that's his, his next calling, but the way that it works with urban, he, I think he does handshake contracts. I'm sure that there's yearly stuff they have to do. He says, I need you to give me two years. Cause I don't want to have to replace guys right after you, know, you commit to two. Yeah. So he got three from Herman. Um, this is Shiana's first. And I think Tampa's still paying him. So Ohio State, <laughs> Ohio State has like a coupon for, for how much. He, <laughs> yeah. So I think he has to, I mean, that doesn't mean that he couldn't just go take the Purdue job. Not that anyone wouldn't run to that opportunity. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, he make, <laughs> no matter what, he makes more sense to take that job than P.J. Fleck does. So uh, let's – actually, let's just start talking about the Big Ten. We got a, a kind of butt slate of games this week. Uh, starting at noon on ESPNU, the mighty Rutgers Scarlet Knights travel to Minnesota in a game that I do not care about at all, Nick. No. You don't care about it either, Ramsey. Do you care about it at all? 
I went to the Rutgers Illinois game last week. Oh my! Oh my God! God. <laughs> I well, first it's an 18 minute drive. Yeah. Um, okay. Second, there's Brother Jimmy's barbecue is unimpeachable. So I, I set it up for a good day. It was sunny. It was very nice. And the Buckeyes didn't play till eight o'clock, and I wasn't going to fly to Madison. Um, so I took in live Rutgers football, watched them Bless shoot a cannon after Illinois missed a field goal. <laughs> which was- <laughs> Um, and I enjoy, in a, in a comical way, rooting for New Jersey's Big Ten team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, they're New York's Big Ten team, Ramsey. They are. Jim, Jim yeah. Delaney, he actually may fine us for not saying that. So thank you very much for we'll, – we'll just invoice that to you. Uh, yeah. My, o- my only Rutgers uh, like viewing, like live in-person viewing experience, I visited one of my good friends who went there um, – years like 2011 or 2012 um whenever kasim green was still on rutgers when they were actually kind of okay and i remember they had a relatively like big game against syracuse uh both teams had solid records at the time if i remember correctly and even that being the case with an awesome exciting player like kasim green on the field it was completely normal to arrive to the game in the student section with the first quarter winding down and to leave three minutes into the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good, good times. Good times. Oh, well. Keep uh, keep on rocking in the free world, Chris Ash. Get that paycheck, brother. Uh, yeah, let's move on to the next game. Wisconsin plays Iowa. Um, I think Wisconsin is probably going to just completely obliterate them after losing in heartbreaking fashion to Ohio State last week. Uh, I'm, I really hope that... Uh, none of our friends over at Go Iowa Awesome are listening, so I don't think Iowa's all that good this year. Uh, but yeah, Ramsey, I don't like, yeah, whatever. Wisconsin makes everyone they play look terrible, and Iowa makes everyone they play look terrible. Oof. So, 10 to 7. Is, I mean, this is just like taking taking guys, shooting them up with Novocaine, and just having them slam into each other <laughs> without using their <laughs> wow. um, Sounds like prom night. I'm from the Midwest. I love that football. Um, so I'll, I'll watch all of it and, and basically through one bloodshot eye hiding underneath my couch. But it, I think uh, I think that game is close and Wisconsin wins. I think they have a bit of a hangover. They, to lose something that, that was really set up for them, it's not like they choked it, but that was set up. That was the perfect scene for them. Game day, uh, the underdog role, the bye week. It, it was all there, and they didn't. They didn't win. So I, f- I feel like they'll wake up in the third quarter on Saturday. Yeah, Nick, uh, what do you think? As I say, I actually realized that. I mean, it's going to be a very long day of tailgating on Saturday. I feel like this is probably the game I'll tune in and watch um, if I can find a television. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm. I was kind of intrigued by Iowa at least finally showing they could score points last week. I know it was. Uh, not not impressive the way they did it, but uh, yeah, I think Wisconsin is gonna win this game by let's say let's say eight. Yeah, I was gonna say like they win by like sixteen or some number that you usually don't see in football. So yeah, go on Wisconsin, I guess. Uh, moving on, shout out to Rob Bolden and our friends at Crimson Quarry because we're talking about the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, yeah, this is. And actually a pretty interesting game. Indiana's a little bit better uh, than I think anyone really... I mean, we talked about... I talked about this in the last edition of the pod with Len and uh, and Peter. Indiana, a bit of a surprise this year how good their defense is. Their offense 
Their offense has to do the catching up to the defense this year, which is a little weird in Northwestern. Seems like it's figured out what it's doing after losing uh, 9-7 at home to Illinois State. Uh, you know, they beat Iowa by 7 on October 1st, and then last week they came out and they hung 54 on uh, Michigan State. So, Nick, like, I-, I think this has the potential to be a pretty good game. Um, I'll say interesting. I don't know if it'll be a good game. I'll say interesting. Um, I think Northwestern wins this game. Actually, I think that I think that Indiana, they've put up so many. They've put up so many valiant efforts in the last few weeks. I feel like they've got to be starting to tire out a little bit. Um, whereas Northwestern seems to be just starting to hit their peak. I mean, Justin Jackson last week was unbelievable. Ran for 188 yards, I believe. Uh, Clayton Thorson threw somewhere in the high 200s, if I remember correctly. Um, they they look more like, actually, they don't really look like last year's Northwestern because last year's Northwestern couldn't really score either. But I'm I'm more intrigued. I'm very intrigued right now with Northwestern, and I I think they find a way to sneak out this win. I'll say something like 31 uh, 27. Yeah, Ramsey. That sounds about right for me and the 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 bigger picture indiana's last four weeks they, they lose the wake forest they Ugh. they beat sparty in overtime which you know that's their their big win which now is sort of diminished right um yep. they lose they, they play ohio state really well and then they lose to nebraska so they've lost three of four with the one being an overtime win that's getting a little bit uh it's getting rusty with time they, if they don't win at Northwestern, and Indiana isn't really good at winning road games, period, over the last uh, 25 years, <laughs> then <laughs> the the whole promise of bowl eligibility starts to come into question. They still have Rutgers coming, so the free space on the bingo card is is still ahead of them. <laughs> also have your guys, and they have at Michigan. Yeah. And they end the season against Purdue. Uh Speaking of Michigan, let's uh, let's talk about the Wolverines. They're at home. Uh, they are coming off a bye week, and they host a rather bad Illinois team. Illinois, it, their two wins were a drubbing of Murray State and a uh, a seventeen point win over Rutgers. They lost to Purdue at home. They lost by twenty four to Western Michigan. This is not a good football team. They're going up against a rested Michigan team that in Big Ten play is outscoring opponents 141-17. to uh, Ramsey, I think this one's going to end up being pretty funny. That doesn't mean it'll be a game worth watching at all, but I think this one has some pretty high comedy potential. Potential. I think uh, Ruth's Chris is going to lose more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to get worse. And uh, I know it's only been like 10 minutes since I brought it up, but a reminder... I did see Illinois play live last week <laughs> when they visited Rutgers. Um, they, they are, um, I think they're well coached as far as I could tell. They, when you watch uh, personnel sub in and out, like Lovey had that down to a science. You see some Rutgers guys sort of run on the field and like, oh shit, it's not my turn and, and come back. It's one of those weird things I picked up watching games when I'm in the stadium. Illinois is crisp getting on and off the field. They, they know what they want to do. They're just not really good at it. <laughs> they were good enough to be. Um, they are going to be good enough to hold Michigan under seventy. Yeah, I mean, listen, it. If you don't have the talent in whatever, but at least you know what you're doing. Which, compared to a team like Rutgers, I mean, that's all you could really ask for. Uh, Nick, what do you think? 
it's so freaking ridiculous that this is going to be Michigan's seventh game, and their only away game has been at Rutgers. Oh yeah, it's complete. And the rest of their schedule, they I mean, going to Michigan State, that's a tough place. That I mean, that's a place that gets fired up for when Michigan comes. Iowa can be a tough place to play, and Columbus is going to be a tough place to play. But yeah, like Michigan went out of its way to try and not schedule anybody and have all of its games be at home in the non-conference, which is just ridiculous, and it's another reason to hate Michigan. Yeah. Um, well, for, as far as this game, uh, Michigan's currently favored by 36 points. I will be putting some money down on that because I think they <laughs> win somewhere somewhere in the 50s oh, to, yeah. I don't know, maybe 7? Yeah, S&P, maybe? Plus, S&P uh, P Plus's projection has... Uh, the margin at about 40 points, uh, the projected score being 43.2 to 3.2. So, uh, yeah, I hate Michigan. Uh, moving on, the other game in the 330 block, uh, Purdue has to go to Nebraska. Uh, does Purdue rally behind the human being who I have never heard of, who is their head coach now? And knock off the mighty Cornhuskers in Lincoln, Nick. Nope. Yep, no, not at all. Ramsey. Uh, making matters worse for Purdue, this is now a revenge game for Nebraska because they <laughs> lost. <laughs> oh, my God, I forgot about that. <laughs> God. So you've got a coachless team going up against a team that's like, man, we lost to Purdue. That's like, oh, that's a shame on our on our legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's not enough balloons in Nebraska for the amount of points they're going to score. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, the rest of their ske- the rest of Purdue's schedule uh, by Bill Conway's projections, every game is a loss. The only game that their win probability is above 12% is when they host Northwestern and their projected margins of defeat for the remaining six games. Nebraska, 27.1 points. Penn State, 22.5 points. Minnesota, 22.9 points. Northwestern, 10.6 points. Wisconsin, 25.7 points. And Indiana, 20.4 points. Like, this team is just brutal, and it's going to be hilarious watching them go up against the Nebraska team that is a little bit overrated, uh, but it's still a very solid football team. And again, it's more proof that there is no way on God's green earth that P.J. Fleck would ever take this job. Uh, Let's move on to the final Big Ten game that we're going to discuss. Michigan State goes to Maryland, and I actually think this has the potential to be a pretty interesting game. Uh, By S&P Plus, uh, uh, Maryland is about a six. The projected margin is about uh, Maryland by six points. Uh, Michigan State is just not good at stopping teams from running the football or throwing the football, really. And they can't really do much of anything themselves. But if there's one thing we know about Maryland is that they're good at running the football. And, Ramsey, I think that most years it would be a a bit of a huge stretch to go. I think Maryland beats Michigan State. But, like, I don't think Michigan State is going to be able to slow down Maryland's running attack at all. No, they haven't really slowed anyone down. Um, I saw Furman get some chunkage (laughs) against Michigan State. I've only watched Maryland uh, play one game, and that was their game with you. Um, And they, the second half, you start to see the difference between what Penn State's about and what what Maryland's about. Um, 
I think this is the sneaky best game on the Big Ten schedule. For it's it, granted a bad schedule. Uh, if you don't want to watch the Nebraska Purdue porn, I think this is the the call <laughs> yeah, during the day. Um, and, and I think it becomes a bit of a a hinge for each team, like the season before the Saturday, and then what comes next. Michigan State needs this, and they can use it for as a fulcrum to to you know get to the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl or whatever. <laughs> now. Um, whereas you know, Durkin, first year guy. His contemporary right now is Ash at Rutgers. Clearly, he's got that beat. What's the next step? Maybe beating the, ne- the defending Big Ten champion. Um, sneaky good game. I think Maryland wins. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you mentioned the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. Uh, Michigan State's record probability, they only have a 3.7% chance of finishing 6-6 six and six or better. So they better hope that APR score is a lot better than anyone uh, than than anyone oh. probably thinks out of uh, out of our friends up in uh, up in East Lansing. Nick, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, this game is fascinating to me. Um, I know last week we last week Maryland didn't run the ball all that well, but they also didn't attempt very many rushes because they fell, and they had Pigram throw the ball thirty seven times, which is a little ridiculous uh for that team i think even when they're down they should probably still be running the ball because that's what they do best but yeah i mean this is just a really really interesting game and i'm sad that we won't get to see probably any of it because we will have all headed into the penn state ohio state game by this point but um yeah i i think i think maryland wins this game i think they get back in the win column i think they win I don't know, let's say by like four or five, like something pretty close. Um, I just have no faith in Michigan State right now. I Before the season, I said I didn't like Tyler O'Connor. I somehow like him even less now. Uh, <laughs> I was I was never super high on LJ Scott. Again, even less high on him now. Like there's, I don't know, there's just, they're, they're in a real bad funk. And I think Maryland is able to, I think, Durkin's energy. I think they're able to get a little bit fired up for this game at home at nighttime, and I think uh, Lorenzo Harrison and uh, oh, what's what's got Ty uh, Johnson? Ty Johnson. Yeah, I think they both have big games, and I think Maryland wins this one. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's going to be an interest. Again, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing weekend of Big Ten football, but there's definitely some good games on the schedule. Of course, Ohio State, Penn State is going to be. Hopefully a good one. Uh, Ramsey, we want to wish you all the best of luck this weekend. We would like to uh, thank you very much for coming on to this edition of the podcast. Thank you for having me, gentlemen, and great job with the site. Awesome. Thank you very Uh, much. Thank you. You're too kind. We'll send you a fruit basket or something. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, that's it for this edition of the pod. Make sure you follow us on all forms of social media. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. Follow us on Twitter, at RLRblog. SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us some ratings. Give us some reviews. We pay attention to them. We want to know what we can do better. Buy some shirts. They're really nice. And if you're buy shirts down- so we can yeah. buy shirts so we can make new shirts. Yeah, definitely. And again, if you're going to be in State College this weekend, by all means, get in touch with me. I got a nice old box of them here, so won't have to ship them to you. They'll. Uh, no one likes to pay for shipping. Let's face it. So yeah. Uh, I think that's it, Nick. Oh, and uh, we want to give one quick shout-out to our friends 
with Nittanyville. We won't say why. Uh, you can find it on our Twitter if you really want to, but they got a surprise in store. And if they do end up doing it, which by all accounts it seems like they're going to, we're going to have so much appreciation for those guys because, I mean, really, Nick, seeing what it is, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of speechless over it. That's really cool what they're going to be doing for us. Getting the brand out there. Get that brand out there, always and forever. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio for Ramsey Nasrallah, for Nick Polak. I am Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much for listening one last time. Take care, y'all. Bye.